This is Look West, a podcast from California's Assembly Democrats. With 2020 in the rearview mirror, new laws are coming your way on January 1. Let's take a look at what some of them are, why they are important, and what they mean to you. I'm Michelle Baker with Look West. Today we will hear from California Democrats about some new laws that go into effect on January 1, 2021. Of course, helping Californians through the coronavirus pandemic was a top priority. Assembly Majority Leader Eloise Gomez-Reyes authored one of the many COVID-19-related bills, including the Worker Protection Measure AB 685. I spoke with Assemblymember Reyes about her legislation. AB 685 is going to require that workplaces in California provide a 24-hour notice to all employees and the Division of Occupational Safety and Health, or CalOSHA, um, and the State Department of Public Health. Um, this notice will, uh, will be required uh, if any worker has been exposed to COVID-19. AB 685 applies to all employers. We have a few employers like hospitals that already have uh, the requirement of reporting, but all other uh, employers will now be required to notify their employees when they have been exposed to someone who was tested positive for COVID-19. Notice will give employees accurate information about potential workplace exposure and ensure that employers create a safe and protective workplace. The second thing is that it requires that the Department of Public Health post information on its website that informs the public of where workplace outbreaks are occurring. And who does this bill impact the most? Well, I think that it impacts our workers the most because now, and it impacts them in a positive way, because now they will be, they will have the right to know when they have been exposed to a coworker or a, a customer um, with, who has already tested positive for COVID. Why did you author this piece of legislation? Do you have a personal connection to this issue? Well, I spent the majority of my legal career defending and fighting for the rights of workers, specifically as, re as it relates to workers' comp and work-related injuries. And with that background, I've seen firsthand the dangers that can occur in a workplace when clear rules and accountability are, are not in place. Uh, also, many of my constituents work in essential sectors of the economy, and they've had to work during these times when many of us, including myself and my staff, were able to work remotely from home. We have to ask so much of our frontline workers that it's the least we can do to provide some basic workplace protections and requirements. And why should other states look to California as a leader on this issue? Why should they look west? They should look west because we have an obligation to protect our workers. Uh, as I said earlier, we are asking so much of them. The least we can do is provide this protection. Before AB 685, the, the law lacked clarity as to an employer's reporting requirements. It was a suggestion that they notify their workers when someone um, had exposed them to COVID-19. But with this deficiency, it led our workers and members of the public to live in fear for their own safety, unaware of where the outbreaks may already be occurring. So th these employers were complying with the suggestion. Now they will be complying with a requirement. And I think that it will keep our workers safer. Uh, it also keeps their families safer because they will know 
when they've been exposed to COVID-19. Thank you, Assemblymember Reyes, for your time this afternoon and for talking with us about this piece of legislation that will become law in the new year. Thank you so much. Also going into effect in 2021 is a measure by State Senator Dr. Richard Pan to improve community immunity through better coordination of vaccinations. He presented Senate Bill 276 at a news conference at the state capitol. Many of us recognize that the primary role of government is to protect the public and to keep people, especially our children, and the most vulnerable safe. We expect our government to protect us from terrorism, crime, and dangerous contagions. We also ask that our government protect us from theft and fraud. Now, four years ago, a measles outbreak spread across California and our own country because too many communities had lost their community immunity, that shield against contagion, because too many families chose not to get their children vaccinated. SB 276 restores integrity to medical exemptions by having future state medical exemption requests evaluated and issued by the California Department of Public Health. The bill also requires all medical exemptions presently granted by physicians to be filed with CDPH to remain valid for school enrollment and gives state and county health officers the authority to invalidate inappropriate exemptions that may compromise the safety of vulnerable children attending the school. Information about inappropriate medical exemptions will also assist the medical board in investigating unethical physicians. More importantly, Public health officers need information about which children have medical exemptions during outbreaks to prevent further spread of disease. Science proves vaccines are safe and effective. Children and their families demand that we act to keep them safe. It's time to stop fake medical exemptions and the doctors who are selling them. Reducing gun violence is the focus of another new law going into effect in the new year. After a mass shooting in Thousand Oaks, Assemblymember Jackie Irwin spoke eloquently about the need to stop gun violence. We lost Cody, Elena, Blake, Daniel, Jake, Justin, Christina, Mark, Noel, Telemachus, and Sergeant Ron Helis to a senseless act of violence at Borderline Bar and Grill. In the days and weeks after, our community came together to mourn, but also to be resolved to prevent this from happening to another community. As a mother and someone who is privileged enough to be in a position to do something about it, it became my mission to work with stakeholders still reeling from the tragedy to identify, concentrate immediate, uh, uh, and concentrate on immediate reforms that enable us to better intervene in times of crisis. In 2021, Assemblymember Irwin's AB 339 will enhance California's gun violence restraining order laws and reduce the chances of another mass shooting. Implicit bias education is on the calendar in 2021 for those working in the medical, law enforcement, and judicial system. A package of legislation to make that happen was written by Assemblymember Sydney Comlogger. To be clear, implicit bias is not racism, it is not sexism, it is not an ism. And we all carry implicit bias. It is subtle, it is always lurking and it is hard to see, but it can be devastating and deadly when lives are at stake. This package of bills, these three bills, will tackle implicit bias in the medical profession, in law enforcement, and in the courts. You cannot reduce implicit bias if you don't first acknowledge that it exists. We cannot check our biases at the door 
if we do not create a standard for doing so. And that is what these three bills will do. Two of the bills were signed into law by Governor Newsom. A tragedy in early 2020 led to Assemblymember Mike Gibson's AB 2655. I spoke to the Assemblymember about the new law. Hello, Assemblymember Gibson. Thank you for joining us on the LaQuest podcast. Today, we have a few questions for you about the legislation that you authored. So can you please explain Assembly Bill 2655 and let us know why it is important? Absolutely. I think everyone knew if you were in a certain age category where you were when Martin Luther King was killed, assassinated. People know where you were when John F. Kennedy was also assassinated. I knew where I was at when I got the news that Kobe Bryant went down in a helicopter on January 26. Um, I was coming out of a church and my staffer said, sir, the, the Kobe Bryant died and others in a, a helicopter uh, accident. And so days afterwards, our first responders, our trusted first responders, uh, Sheriff Department um, took and used their own personal um, uh, footage of the crash, which means that was the debris as well as remains of everyone who's perished. And that information was thrown around very haphazardly uh, and, and family was in horror as a result of that. And no family should have to go through that. And so that was, that's the reason why I decided to do a bill to one whole um, first responders accountable. No family member should find out through social media that their loved one who died in a horrific situation, they find that information out on, on social media. That is a terrible way to find out your loved one has perished. And so I created Assembly Bill 2655 that will prohibit our first responders from utilizing their um, personal device to take footage or photos or either sell it. Um, these kinds of horrific situations are taking place um, in our community. Um, we need to do it not only for the memory of the person who perished, but also for the loved ones who have to be left here to mourn their loved one who just died tragedy, tragically um, in a horrific accident. So that's the reason why I did Assembly Bill 2655. And can you let us know who does this bill impact the most? It impacts one, our first responders. Um, it will, will make sure that first responders um, don't do this. Um, if you're not tied to an investigation, you are prohibited from doing this. Um, and what the, what um, calls for is that if you found guilty of using this, then you will be found you'll be found guilty of a, a misdemeanor that will be a one thousand dollar fine um, that will be leveled against you that you have to pay. And it's the way for us to say we don't condone these kinds of activities from our first responders to do this. And so we want to make sure that no family member has to go through this. We also want to make sure that law enforcement understand that they are prohibited from doing such. If you are not part of the actual investigative team, you should not be utilizing um, any type of photographic techniques to photograph such horrific um, um, situations like what Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and others experienced um, in that helicopter crash. Why should other states look to California as a leader on this issue? Why should they look west? Well, they should look west because California leads. 
This is landmark legislation that we believe that um, other states will be able to emulate and implement in their, in their particular um, states. And so again, when California stands up in this aggressive way, very proactively, um, other states follow. So we want them to follow us so that this uh, kind of situation doesn't happen to anyone else um, in the United States of America. Thank you, Assemblymember Gibson, for talking with us about this new law. Those are the questions that I have for you today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michelle, for having me. A measure protecting domestic violence and sexual assault victims will be in effect in 2021, and a task force to study reparations for African Americans will be getting to work. Both of those are from Assemblymember Dr. Shirley Weber. I spoke with her recently to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us on the Look West podcast, Dr. Weber. No problem. Thank you. Um, so today we have a few questions for you about um, legislation that you authored. And we're first going to start with Assembly Bill 2992. Can you please explain this new law for us and let us know why it is important and why Californians should care about this new law? Well, I think we give a lot of protections to individuals who have had different things that happen in their lives. And um, we often leave out those who are, um, who are sometimes grieving and who are victims of, of various crimes that produce grief. And as a result, there doesn't appear to be any, um, any relief for them, any understanding with their employers or others that there are, some, there are some unique circumstances that these folks need additional time to come back. And so, this was a bill trying to fill some of those holes that we have. We have a lot of legislation that addresses that, uh, but finding, finding, finding that piece that, uh, that fits into that in terms of those who are victims of, of violent crimes, their families, those who uh, uh, need some additional time off from their jobs to, to grieve and to know that they are secure as they move around and move about and helping them to resettle themselves that, uh, that they won't lose their employment. And so often people don't get a chance to to do that uh, when they're victims of different crimes. Great. Um, who does Assembly Bill 2992 impact the most? Well, you know, it often impacts those with the least amount of resources the most always, because um, the reality is when you have access to resources, you, you, you have options in your life. You know, you can, you can choose, you're, you're not as vulnerable, you're not uh, uh, always uh, on the edge in terms of losing your house or your employment or those kinds of things. And when pieces start falling apart, it unravels very quickly and you find yourself without. So it really affects um, oftentimes women, uh, minorities, those who are poor, much more than those who have resources and have a support system that's much stronger. And then why did you author this bill? Do you have a personal, do you have a personal connection to this piece of legislation? Not personally, not me, not, not so much me, other than um, I've been in situations where I've worked with, um, uh, when I was on the Battered Women's Services Board and some other boards like that in the community, where I've seen people whose lives are very uh, fragile, you know, and, uh, and seeing the devastation that can occur if we don't have sensitive and, and careful and uh, policies that help them through times of crisis. And I've, so I've seen that happen. And, um, and so it hasn't affected me directly, but I know what it can do. And, and, when it, and, and when something like that affects others in our society, it really affects us all because uh, we sometimes wonder why we end up in situations where folks are homeless or without places to stay or those kinds of things. And then we discover that a lot of it has to do with the fact that we did not have safety nets. 
that we would, did not have sensitive policies that allowed people who are normally independent and able to care for themselves to basically to survive. Well, thank you, Dr. Weber, for talking to us about that. Now let's spend some time talking about Assembly Bill 3121. Can you please explain this new law and let us know why it is important and why Californians should care about this new law? Well, 3121 is the law to form the task force on reparations. And we know reparations has been an issue in California, uh, what, and I shouldn't say California, issue in the nation for many, many years where people feel there hasn't been any effort to compensate for the years of slavery. And we constantly see a population that is, uh, is suffering economically, educationally, and a host of other things. And so as a result, um, uh, the, at the national level, people have tried to, to author a bill on reparations. And there was a reparations bill in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the nation at the end of slavery in 1865. Unfortunately, it, did not, um, it was not carried out. Uh, the 40 acres and a mule. And so therefore those who were enslaved were left, were let to go without property, without ownership of anything and without oftentimes education skills or anything else. And it was a very difficult time and still is a very difficult time. And then we've seen over the years how we have um, uh, created um, uh, laws and, 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 and regulations and restrictions that have had adverse effects on, on African-Americans, particularly in economics and home ownership and those things. So when we start thinking about what has happened over the last 400 years, we realize that there has never been an effort to really to, to level the playing field in, 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 in a serious way, economically and educationally. Uh, we've done a few things, but still, we still have an unequal situation. And as we looked around African-Americans, we see that the country supports reparations in a whole lot of other areas. You know, we were in favor of reparations when it was the Japanese internment. We're in favor of reparations more recently, the national, at the national level to a population of Jews who were a part of the Holocaust and the federal government gave $50 million to help those individuals, despite the fact that we were not the ones who created the Holocaust. So when you start asking questions about uh, reparations and uh, we realize that, that probably the most aggrieved persons in this nation have never received any compensation uh, or even considerations or even an apology is, as, 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 as some have, have also looked at. So the issue of reparations has become a national issue. Uh, as it continues to fail in Washington every year when the reparations bill is put forward, uh, we thought, you know, we, we don't have to wait for Washington. Once again, California leads the way. Uh, California is a large state, fifth largest economy in the world, uh, with a very diverse population and a very diverse economic base. And so why not try reparations in California? Uh, California was a free state, supposedly. And yet we know that uh, from the first governor of California, uh, we've seen there were lots of uh, racist policy, negative policies. Slavery did exist in California. Uh, California benefited from it in insurance industry, uh, in insuring slaves and, and protecting them. Uh, so, so you know, so when we look at it, there was a lot of California engagement in slavery. And still to this day, the impact of it is still felt. So we felt at some point, well, California can do this. We can lead the way. We can demonstrate to others that it's possible. And so we decided to author the bill. And so this bill will form a task force of nine individuals. Uh, it goes in effect January 1. Uh, we will have a nine individuals uh, that task force will be formed by, the, by June. And it will work for a year to examine the impact of slavery on California and Californians and what, what impact it's had, how deep the impact and problem has been, and then to make recommendations to the legislature about what we need to do to remedy the, the, the things that we find in California. 
it can take any form. It can take education. It can look at home ownership. It look at it can look at wealth gaps. There are a whole lot of things that it can possibly do. Personally, what does this legislation mean to you? Well, surely, you know, being an African American in California, um, I recognize how difficult it is uh, to acquire things in California uh, for African Americans. Um, you know, uh, some may say, "Well, you've done well." Yeah, I've done well, but you know, I, when I think about the amount of of, of uh, effort it took to do well. It's, it's, it's in comparison to my colleagues who are not African-American. I realize that I probably should be doing better than I am. That's number one. But number two, I see the wealth gap. I see so many uh, African-Americans who work so hard and who will never own a house in California, whose, whose wealth, when I look at, when we look at the wealth information, it shows that the, that the, the average wealth of an African-American is, is almost in the minus zone and that whites with the same education, same kind of experiences, their wealth is 10 to 15 times more. Mainly, mainly because of ownership of land, uh, having advantage of that, uh, being able to get loans to start small businesses and have support for that. So there's, there's just an awful lot of things that, that we recognize that are unfair and unjust. And, and as we continue to move forward without addressing those issues, we will forever find ourselves in a situation uh, where people, where we see the wealth gap, we see the opportunity gap, and we find that when things happen like the pandemic, it makes those gaps worse rather than better. When we had the downturn in the economy, we saw African-Americans losing more homes than anyone else in the economy in terms of the banking industry. So, uh, so we're looking at home ownership in the 20s in California for African-Americans, where at one point it was in the 30s and the 40s. So there's been a, um, you know, we, we began to see that when these crises come, uh, they set us back even more because of the way the system is so structured. So we have to figure out and develop a system that, and begin to address those issues directly uh, in order to try to level the playing field. Why should other states look to California as a leader on this issue? Why should they look west? Well, you know, we've already had conversations with other states uh, and other legislators about this bill. And folks are interested because California has, um, it has the diverse population, but it also has resources. And as it's not just money resources. When you think about research and institutions and think tanks, you think California. You know, we've got an amazing university system. We've got an amazing research centers at our universities who could lead the way in this kind of research. I mean, there are no better research institutions than the University of California. And they have been involved in some level of reparations in terms of other bills that have come forward. Uh, so we've got some great research institutions here. We've got, um, we've got the foundation to really do the kind of research and information and dissemination of information that would help other states understand what this issue is because so many times people say well i never owned slaves so why should i do this and um and 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 it's important that the research is done to show people how they have benefited from slavery you know how the the laws were so written and the implementation of certain laws were of such that it disadvantaged african americans and advantaged others to be able to amass wealth and to grow businesses and those kinds of things so it becomes important that we that california uh, lead the way and can be an example to other states of the kind of questions being asked, the research being done, and the compensations that people think need to happen in order for people to basically overcome the kind of uh, uh, challenge that we're facing. Thank you, Dr. Weber, for your time this morning and for discussing Assembly Bill 2992 and Assembly Bill 3121. Well, thank you very much and thanks for the opportunity. 
2020 was hard for millions of Californians. Your Assembly Democrats worked through those hardships to help and support all of us, and they will continue to work and support you as we look forward to a better 2021. I'm Michelle Baker with Look West. Thank you for listening. The Look West podcast is produced by the California Assembly Democrats. When you think of California and politics, remember to look west.